the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that could save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Abbott. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Welcome to the show. We have the perfect trifecta that starts a critical focus on equity and care for a disease that is more prevalent and deadlier than all cancers combined, except for lung cancer. It's known as peripheral artery disease, which is poor blood flow in mainly the legs. That left untreated, it can lead to amputation, it can lead to stroke, it can lead to heart attack. And people of color are up to four times more likely to have their limbs amputated because of this disease than their white counterparts. And since February is Black History Month, American Heart Month, and Saturday is PAD Awareness Day, peripheral artery disease, PAD or PAD, we are going to talk about some of the reasons we think that people of color are getting their legs amputated at a much higher rate than their white counterparts and maybe offer some thoughts on what can be done about it. We're going to cover a lot of topics that are important to all of us that I think will really open your eyes to the experience of people of color with PAD care. There are a lot of gaps in care, and we're hoping to address ones today that really have not been discussed very much. We already know that there are gaps in terms of access, access to care, access to food, financial barriers, insurance barriers, and all that jazz. But in the next time, what I really like to focus on is really what you don't know about experiences in the African-American community. We're going to talk about the historical and cultural differences, maybe some communication gaps, and what we call the deception of the black foot uh, we're going to you're gonna that's going to be a very interesting conversation that's going to lead to possibly what we hope are educational changes for physicians who are treating people of color and possible wounds especially diabetic wounds we do have an amazing group of people of color with PAD and their family members who are here and ready to share their personal journeys and lessons along the way and you're going to hear them you know chime in throughout um, and I want to bring in um, first we have our DEI our diversity, equity, and inclusion chairman for the Global PAD Association, which is our nonprofit that supports people with peripheral artery disease. He's been doing a lot of research and, and preparing, um, you know, for Black History Month, American Heart Month, Pat Awareness Day, and our PAD, the Lived African American Experience event. And I want to um, say hello, welcome him in, and um, to share his thoughts. Hey, Charles. Hey, Kim. Hey, Dr. Phillips. How are you doing? I'm great. Charles, how's it going, my friend? Everything is everything, Doc. 
I, I want to, um, you know, jump right in, you know, Charles, because you've done, you know, quite a bit of research. And as we've been preparing, you know, for this conversation, um, one of the issues that, that we find, you know, in the African-American community is there's just this general mis trust um, in the healthcare system. And you'd recently written a, a, a blog post um, on padstories.com, you know, about some of the reasons why this may still be an issue. Would you mind talking about some of what you learned? Um, well, yes, it's, it's, it's uh, historical that African-Americans have been misused in America as a whole, but especially in the medical field. Uh, we've been test subjects without our permission. And one of the most famous or infamous ones was the Tuskegee experiment where they gathered up 399 men of color and infected them with syphilis oh, wow. with claim with claims that they were healing them in fact they were not they were just text test subjects wow and yeah. you know is that something that as you were growing up that was um ever brought up in in your household and impacted your perception of the healthcare system that you have it, today it was not specifically, but there was a lot of times that instead of going to the doctor, we would use more, more home remedies mm. instead of, you know, going to the doctor. And my parents and grandparents never explained why. But later on, I've learned the reasons why. So your parents never really talked to you or put two and two together for you with that? It was just something that you started reading up later and going, oh, you know what? I bet you that's why we didn't really go to the doctor very much. Absolutely. Yes. Hey, Kim, is it possible? I've got a little color um, behind the Tuskegee. Um, well, they called it the Tuskegee syphilis study. And this is directly from the study. The purpose was to study um, the effects of syphilis when untreated. Um, but what is a travesty is by the end of the study, medical advancements had occurred that made syphilis entirely treatable. And they enrolled 600 African-American sharecroppers uh, from Alabama. And, uh, uh, you know, two-thirds of them had latent syphilis. And, uh, you know, the, the, the problem there was there was deception and lack of informed consent for the patients, right? So they weren't informed about their diagnosis of, of syphilis. Uh, they were often described, disguised as placebos. And really, they had ineffective treatment methods. And frankly, at, at the end, you know, these folks could have been, could have been treated. And that, that's just, it's very difficult for any individual to then trust a healthcare system when you're kind of purposely deceiving them and um, not, not, uh, um, no, informing them to the to, to, to the best of their ability so that they can make good good. So definitely ethical violations and and just a, a sad stain in, in medical research in the United States at the time. And I just wonder. I mean, I I can kind of compare that just a little bit to what we're dealing with right now when you have 
you know, more than what what is the number? More than sixty percent of all amputations being performed without even an attempt to restore inline flow is as per society guidelines, and ninety percent of which the patients aren't even offered a vascular evaluation in the year prior. I mean, how do you? Continue to trust your doctor when this is the case. And, and you can't say that they're actively deceiving the patients. I mean, but I would think in today's day and age that at least in this case, I would think that even if that one doctor doesn't know, that you know is- what he doesn't offer the options, that they would know that there are options available for that patient, even if they don't agree with it. They would at least give the option to the patient and say, I don't agree with it. I don't think your leg should be saved, but you know what? There's a doctor down the road. You're welcome to check in with him or her. That is a provocative question that we'll answer when we come back from the break. So stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. We are focusing on PAD, the lived African-American experience, because it is Black History Month, American Heart Month, and PAD Awareness Day on Saturday. And so before the break, um, we were talking about um, an historical situation that has led to many in the African-American community here in the United States to have even still a mistrust in doctors, or at least historically a mistrust in doctors. And I was making the point, you know, Dr. Phillips, Dr. Jones, um, even, you know, Charles, our DEI chairman for the Global PAD Association, that I'm just wondering if maybe there's a little bit of that today. Maybe it's it's not an intended deception, but when you're talking about more than 60% of all amputations happening, the highest being in the African-American community, without even an attempt by society guidelines to restore inline flow prior to amputation, 90% of which are done without even an, a vascular evaluation at all. Do you think that there is a little bit of a deceptive practice there as well? Maybe not intended, but I would think that in today's world that every doctor would know today, I would think, I would hope, that there is the potential that arteries could need to be opened and that they should do a vascular evaluation. 
this again, this is my disclaimer. These are my thoughts and opinions only. So take it for what it's worth. To use the word deceptive, I shudder at that. And I hope I don't think that that's the case. I think there's a lot of factors that play into treating somebody with peripheral arterial disease, which are a little bit different than those of coronary disease, for example. But one of the things that I struggle with is lack of awareness to the disease process, both by physicians, the primary care doctors, um, people in my field, surgeons, et cetera, and then the patients. Like that's we've we've talked about that, and that's that's kind of why I we do save my piggies and you do what you do, just because we're trying to raise awareness. I think one of the other things that that drives you know people to get pushed in a certain category of not having a vascular evaluation or an angiogram is is just maybe not um, you know comfort level or adequate expertise by the physician um, in, in that particular field and then you couple that with most of us are alphas and we have big egos and we're not willing potentially to kind of say, hey, I don't know that I can do this, but maybe I should give it to, to somebody else. So that that's one of the drivers, I think. And it just goes to show that we have a long way to go. We have to continue to keep pushing this agenda of education, this agenda of prevention. There are so many modifiable risk factors that we all can get behind and try to help this. Because let's be honest, you have a 50% mortality at five years if you have critical limb ischemia, 50%. I was at an advisory board where we were talking about stents that break up and they're bioabsorbable and they, they um, you know, kind of absorb over, over three years. And we said, well, if you think about it, who cares? Because a third of these people are dead within a year and, you know, probably 40% are dead within four years. So we've got to get better at educating. We've got to get better at preventing this. But patients have to be their best advocate and they need to speak up and uh, you know don't take no for an answer meaning you're not getting this and you're going to have an amputation there's no way that that should be the primary diagnostic treatment plan is a primary imitation unless if it's so far gone that there's just nothing viable i see dr jones wants to to jump in um yes i do think as african-americans i don't think it's i think it's certain diseases that are more prevalent in our community like um I don't know why I'm drawing, but sickle cell anemia and um, kidney disease. But I don't think like PED is at the top of the list for us unless we had a family member that's already had an amputation. So where I work, I have a diverse population of patients, but I do have about 40% of my patients are African-Americans. And the first thing they say, oh, I'm newly diagnosed diabetic. I don't want to lose my limb. So, and they'll say, because I had a family member or this person, but, and all honestly, most of the conditions that really affect us that we focus on, I feel like is sickle cell or um, kidney disease. And so I think as African-Americans, we need to really get the word out for PAD and how it does affect us more so and having blood clots in our legs. Um, and also, like you said, it's some of the doctors, um, patients nowadays, because there's not as many doctors as there are patients. So you have a lot of nurse practitioners, you have, you have a lot of PAs, you have a lot of others that are in the healthcare field helping doctors. And so the patient has to be their primary advocate. And just, just, just real quick, um, 
lifetime. So African-Americans, both male and female, have a higher lifetime risk of getting PAD than Hispanics and whites. Uh, and they also get it earlier, too. Um, the, the data suggests we're seeing patients in their 40s that have PAD, which I mean, that's we shouldn't that, that's got to stop and so um, yeah that we have to get better at, at identifying it in African Americans um, and underrepresented minorities and then trying to figure out how to prevent its progression have you seen the 40 year olds sm- have a history of smoking uh, I would have, you know, again, I, I'm not, I don't know that they've, obviously tobacco is, is risk for it, but I think just in general, um, that the, the African Americans have a higher risk and, and prevalence of PAD than any other race. And Elizabeth? Yes. My question to Dr. Phillips, why is that? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it probably to some that this is just my opinion. It may stem from delayed treatment, whether it's going to the physician, trust in the physician, getting, uh, you know, that relationship developed. Um, you know, African-Americans tend to have more hypertension than their white counterparts. So hypertension is a risk factor. Yeah. Um, but again, too, it depends. There's, I think there's socioeconomic forces at play as well. Also, our blood is thicker. I tend to disagree with that because in my situation, um, I was middle class. I trusted the doctors. All my life, I went to the best doctors in New York, North Carolina. But what I found in North Carolina is that a lot of doctors have illicit biases against African Americans to even diagnose them. Mm. Um, for example, I would go into a doctor, um, tell them that during a stress test, I stopped because my cast was hurting, and I was told you just have to work through it. Wow. I'll see you in six months. Okay, so I don't think that it's because of African Americans, you know, I, I really think there's more to it. I believe, and this may, you may not take this, and I hope I don't offend anyone, but I believe that the there's a lot of illicit biases within the medical community that will view us less than and treat us less than. You're not alone in your perspective. I know that Charles might want to weigh in. Charles? Yes, real quick. I just want to jump in and say that um, historically, it's been thought in the medical field that black people had a higher pain tolerance than our white counterparts, even to the point where they call them the father of of uh, OBGYN that he was doing procedures on black women without any anesthesia because of this belief. And somehow, even through this to this day, that we do have those biases that we can handle more pain because of our skin color and doctors are not as urgent to treat or listen to our stories of pain. 
And I want to get more into that because I can see that Elizabeth and also Dr. Jones are nodding and wanting to jump in on that. And we have to get to a break, but we're going to jump right in to that topic a little bit deeper in a moment right here on the Heart of Innovation. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our LegSaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life Life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Continuing a, a very provocative uh, discussion uh, regarding peripheral arterial disease and um, its prevalence and, and treatment disparities within uh, the African-American uh, population. I learned something just before the break. I had never been I'd, I'd never heard or been told that there's a perception that African-Americans have a higher pain threshold than anyone else um that's kind of blows my mind frankly dr jones have have you heard that uh yes i have i i follow a lot of um african-american doctors on instagram and i follow this one kid he was just on good morning america or something he's posting a lot of trauma and biases that uh, african-american patients have faced throughout the years starting back to like 1950 in medicine and in healthcare in general he's actually in medical school right now so yes and i have friends that are doctors i've had friends that you know i've experienced it being a black female doctor myself um my own biases and you know i come in a room with one of my classmates and they automatically i'm the nurse even though i have a white coat and then my male counterpart is automatically called a doctor and they ask me they're like oh nurse jones can you and i'm like no i'm not the nurse i'm a doctor too so i still get the patients always think that i'm the nurse when i'm in the room you know my nurse seats them in a room so dr jones comes in and i come in they're like oh when does the doctor come in and i'm like i am the doctor <laughs> so it's just it's just things that I don't let it, you know, I used to come up with jokes and make patients laugh just to kind of break the ice. And I used to get offended when I was really young and became a doctor. But it's just so many stories and obviously we don't have time. But I do want to actually address Elizabeth's question she asked earlier. I think part of the problem is African-Americans are high risk for a lot of things. We're high risk for diabetes. We're high risk 
for kidney disease. We're high risk for high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Part of it is culturally how we eat, things like that. And also with the PAD, our blood tends to be thicker. That's why they put people on blood thinners who have um, issues with their arteries because our blood tends to be thicker culturally, African-Americans. Hope that answers your question, Elizabeth. Okay, well, I want to expand on what Charles was talking about as far as African-Americans, you know, is believed to have more, can take, you know, tolerate more pain. Even though that was, you know, done historically, it is still being done today. Um, Even in 2021, I had a personal experience where I was put on the table to get a procedure and I was in excruciating pain. They they did not give me any pain medication, nothing to relax me. When they put the first needle in my back, I'm screaming to the top of my lungs. And what I was told, well, you have to let me finish the procedure because if you don't, your health insurance is not going to pay for the procedure. Okay, so it's still those practices and those beliefs from white doctors are still believed today. It's passed on. Well, I, I can just tell you, I've never heard that before. Um, and that's an, an unfortunate situation. You shouldn't treat, I mean, the, let's be honest, when you open up somebody's chest and do bypass surgery on them, everybody looks the same. When we put our tube in your arteries, they all look the same. Um, so, again, I, I think it's just um, opportunities such as this to, to help raise awareness. Uh, well, how are you going to raise awareness to doctors that are, let's say, biased? And I'm going to go as far as saying they are part of the white supremacists that are treating patients. How are you going to change that? You know, when you walk, when I walk into a doctor's office that have those personal biases, even though they took their oath to cause no harm, how are you going to change that? When they look at me just as a person of color, a black woman, or look at a black man, they're not going to give us the same treatment as they would our white counterparts. And you have actually right. a specific example of that as well, Elizabeth, in terms of you are a very highly educated woman who, who's held very powerful positions um, in New York um, that we've talked about before. But um, And yet when you've walked into certain doctors, you have found that they question your educational experience and yeah. um, knowledge. Yes, they do. Some of them. I've ran into that situation as well. Um, Example, when I was first diagnosed with PAD, um, the first thing they wanted to do was put a stent in the back of my knee. Imagine that. Put a stent in the back of my knee where my knee is, you know, flexing back and forth. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense to the common person. So when I questioned that, um, and I wouldn't allow them to even touch me because before they even looked at my records, 
They wanted to put a stent in the back of my knee. They wanted to take me into the cath lab, right? Um, when I started asking questions, the first thing, are you a nurse? Are you in the medical field? No, I'm not. Are you British? Where are you from? You know, because, and then, you know, I'm like, all right. I walked out, they went to the ladies, to the bathroom, stepped out, I went to the bathroom. By that time, more patients came in, sitting in a waiting room, and every last one of them had one of their limbs amputated. Oh, wow. That had to have been scary. Were they African-American or was it diverse? Mostly, mostly. And so you ended up saying, nope, no. But we have to say that in, in terms of the, um, you know, send the back of the knee, the now more than ever, less is more. Um, they don't use stents as much. And particularly in the back of the knee, they do question whether or not um, it, it's really even necessary because that's a really good area, right, Dr. Phillips, where they can grow collateral vessels or those natural bypasses around any sort of blockage behind the knee. And behind the knee traditionally has been um, a spot, as you said, where because of the bendiness, the stents don't t- tend to last as long. Although there is newer technology, still not 100% durable uh, yeah yeah i mean um before i answer that I, I do want to get back to your initial question or point about biases and I, I think that we'd all agree that we're probably more alike than we are different and we you have to open a conversation with somebody and try to find a, a connection uh there's an interesting book out there called how minds change and um it really it, it, it's fascinating because it goes into the the, the psychology behind people's opinions and how those opinions formed and how you can not necessarily change somebody's opinion, but allow people to kind of broaden their, their, their scope of, of yeah. uh, influence, so to speak. And that's what I do with all my patients. I, I don't, again, I, and I'm, I'm not saying this just because we're on air. I don't frankly care what color you are. Um, if you're coming to see me, we're going to treat you as best we can regardless. Um, but it's unfortunate that these things still exist. But uh, again, you find, um, you find some common ground and, and, and you go from there. Uh, right. right here on the heart of innovation we're going to ha- continue this discussion there's so much more to say and we have such a short amount of time but stay with us we'll be right back and we'll dive into uh, more the heart of innovation welcome back to the heart of innovation for more on today's topic go to theheartofinnovation.org that's theheartofinnovation.org Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everyone, to the Heart of Innovation. Black History Month, American Heart Month, Pat Awareness Day. We are talking about PAD, the lived African-American experience, because people of color are getting their limbs amputated um, at four times the rate of their white counterparts. And we're just trying to explore some of the issues um, that might be leading to this. Um, Common biases, um, including 
including um, the the tolerance of pain and mistrust of doctors, you know, in the past leading up to and and kind of trickling into people's perceptions even now. I mean, so much to talk about. I want to bring in Charles Winters, who is our DEI chairman for the Global PAD Association. And um, what are you thinking so far, Charles, about the conversation? Um, I, I actually want to go back to what Dr. Phillips was saying about how he treats his patients. I want to applaud him on doing that, but I also want him to understand that that's not, that's not the norm in my experience. And I have a lot of medical issues and seen uh, a lot of doctors. Um, sometimes the doctor doesn't come in and try to find that common ground. Um, a lot of the times they won't they won't even look at you. They're looking at their notes or uh, their iPad and um, telling you what's wrong before you even get a chance to share with them what what are you what we are feeling. And a lot of the the communication that goes on is that the doctor is talking to to you like you went to medical school or is talking way down to you like you don't have any common sense. So it's kind of a catch-22, like Elizabeth was saying. When you go in armed with information, they want to know, well, where did you get that from instead of addressing my problem? And if you don't know and try to get a better understanding – they got so many patients that they're trying to get you in and out and you, you leave without having an understanding of what you have going on. Larry, let me just ask you, do you go into, or anybody can a- answer this, but do you go into an office visit? Maybe it's with a new physician kind of on the defensive, assuming or prepare, being prepared for that, that type of experience and interaction that you just, just described. And, and so, you know, maybe going in right off the bat, there's that kind of not tension, but the notion that, man, this maybe isn't going to be the right fit for me, or I'm not going to kind of get a better understanding of what's going on. Um, when when I I play off of how the doctor comes in and addresses, them. you can pretty much tell from from the way they come in a room and they greet you, and and how they treat you within the first few minutes. Yeah, understood. Now, do you stick with those physicians, or you try to find somebody else? Oh, now no, now I'm I'm, I'm armed with information now, so. Um, I know how to make better choices, but initially when I started having health problems back in 2013, I I would just, whatever the doctor said, you know, that was, that was kind of it. Even if they were, they didn't have a great bedside manner, you know, I was there because I was sick and they're the doctor. So they're the ones that, that make you better. And I would like to clarify that it is not only do we have to deal with, um, let's say, white doctors treating us um, a certain kind of way. It's black doctors as well. Okay. There are black doctors out there just as well as white doctors that will look at 
their patients as a dollar sign. All right. Especially if they have Medicare or whatever insurance that they're trying to to milk the money out of. And I've, and I've had that experience as well. It was a black doctor. She um, She's actually doing 25 years in prison because she used, she came into the black community and she used them for her selfish greed. She was giving them procedures without an informed consent, just like the Tuskegee study, in, but this is in modern day. All right. By telling them that, oh, well, this is a sinus spa that we're giving you, but not telling us that she was giving us a sinuplasty just to get paid. So a lot of doctors, they go, it's just, they're just in it for the money. So a lot of these doctors, I'm talking about black doctors that come out of medical school, once they learn the system, once they learn the system on how to get rich or how to make a whole lot of money, they will use, come into the vulnerable communities and use them. So it's not only do we have to deal with and be careful of the white doctors, especially the ones that have their own personal biases, we also have to be careful of the black doctors because we don't know what their motives are. I believe also just just being informed and we have Dr. Jones here that there are differences between us black people and white people. And sometimes symptoms don't present the same in us as they do uh, as our white counterparts. Dr. Jones, can you talk to us about a little bit about the deception of the, the Blackfoot? Oh, yes. Um, as far as African-Americans, it depends on if they have neuropathy. If patients have neuropathy, they're not really going to be able to communicate. It's all about clinically just knowing, like with Larry, for example, when you guys showed me his picture earlier, you could see the distal tip of his second toe. The skin was darker compared to the rest of his complexion. It was very subtle, but he's also complaining because he doesn't have neuropathy. So he's also complaining that that area is bothering him. So I think it has to be the doctors pay more attention. I get plenty of uh, patients that come to me and say, oh, I went to my primary care doctor and they never looked at my foot. Oh, wow. They never even touched my foot, but they complained about their foot, right? And so a lot of patients will say their primary care doctors don't even look at their foot. But I'm in an environment because I work in a clinic that just put a referral into podiatry. So, of course, when I see them, I hopefully I see them in time because my clinic is also booked. I'm like 60 to, to 70 days for new patients to get an appointment with me. Um, if they document the patient's a diabetic and possibly has like an ulcer, I do put a message to my scheduler that she has to double book my schedule to get that patient in, you know, much sooner. If they if the primary care takes time to write stuff in their consults, they don't always put extra stuff. They'll just put yeah. do a diabetic foot exam for me. Um, and I know they, Larry. 
is is here, Larry. Um, it was your primary care doctor that said, "Oh yeah, I think you're fine." I uh, I, I went to my primary doctor for a follow up for something else, and you know I was told to always to take your shoes off when you go see your doctor. You know, good for especially you. if you have diabetes. Not that I've been diagnosed with diabetes, but he knows about my PAD, and so I I I was having the tingling and the um, in, in that show, yeah, and and I noticed when I looked at it, I said, "Wow, my, my toes, the tip of is turning black." So I showed it to him, and, and he suggested that it was okay to a degree, and that because if there was a problem, then it would be in my toenail, and that it starts there. So, so I said, "Okay." Fine, and uh, to make a long story sh- make a long story short, that's that's where that went, and uh, that's why I'm currently trying to reconnect with a uh, intervention uh, cardiologist to to get a workup and get things done. But but to talk about um, my experience with uh, why I think that there's this distrust or mistrust between uh, the people of color. And, and doctors, my experience is just simply not like everyone else in the black community. Uh, I had a primary care doctor from the time I was 16 years old in high school and and stayed with him until he retired and, and finally found another. So I've only had two, two primary care doctors in my life. And my experience is it's, it's been one maybe of overtrust and and not mistrust. Uh, I, I've always had good communication with them, and I believe them. And why lie when you go to the doctor about what you're there for? And I thought they listened and prescribed the right things. But uh, <clears throat> I I wanted to thank Doctor Phillips and, and and you, Doctor Jones, for uh, coming here, t- taking a beating that way. You had to, we, mm-hmm. we've been talking about the the medical profession and uh, I'm cognizant of, I've heard all these things, but that is just simply hasn't, hasn't been my experience. I, um, I will say Larry that, and I've told this to Kim when we've been on the show with other shows that I, I learned a lot about, you know, patient empathy, if nothing else. And once you create a connection with a patient and you see them as a person, and not just a patient that changes the dynamic relationship in my opinion and you can um yes because the patient comes to you in a very vulnerable situation and they're looking to you for some type of guidance and a treatment plan and help frankly um and, and again you find that common ground with that person i love sports so we always talk about sports and you know, I like to cook and food and things of that nature. And once you break that ice, and the, but for me personally, then I see that, yeah, okay, the person has peripheral arterial disease or they have heart disease, but th- they also are a mom or a, a dad or they have a brother and they're a real human being. They go home and, they, you know, they've got a family. And that, that to me, changes the dynamic. And it makes me think a little bit more sometimes about – who it is that I'm treating. It's not just a number. It's not just another procedure. There's a, there's a real, real human being there. And that might sound silly, but I think some of us kind of lose sight of that. 
Coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we are going to finish up this discussion. Wow, how time flies. Very powerful discussion. But again, we're only scratching the surface. So um, stay tuned. We'll have more when the Heart of Innovation continues. So stay with us. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everyone, to the Heart of Innovation. Um, we've been going in quite a few different directions, just touching on here and there some of the um, critical gaps in care um, in the African-American community that some believe may be leading to an increased number of amputations, four times the rate of that of their white counterparts. Before the break, um, we had been talking with Dr. Stacia Jones, a podiatrist um, out of Virginia, um, about the Blackfoot deception. And we do have um, also um, the wife of, of one of the patients that wants to share her story. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Jones. Amy, I'm, I'm waiting to hear your story about your husband and what happened to you guys as he was going along his journey and what happened as, as far as his experience with his doctors that he was seeing at the time. Well, my husband had had some pain in his toe and it was kind of misdiagnosed um they said it was sciatica um he went to physical therapy um they could do a pain doctor um wound care and nobody really thought it was bad they just thought you know he's a hard worker and this is what happened just wear and tear on his legs and um i love the doctor we still see her she's great but she just didn't know what she didn't know she hadn't seen it um i don't think in uh, black foot. I think she'd only seen it in a white foot. Um, and there was some differences. She, she her nurse had told me that um, she thought maybe she could have caught it after if it was, a, if John had had a white foot. So that led me to believe that she probably hadn't seen it in a black foot. Um, it ended up having, he ended up having a transmission amputation. It was toe after toe after toe. And they just finally took all of the toes. It's sad that in this day and age that something's lacking there, that the color of his skin is kind of what they're saying or blaming it on as to why they had to amputate half of his foot. Dr. Jones, what is education like? Um, are, are there an equal number of cadavers to represent the diverse communities when it comes to vascular and podiatry? I actually don't remember seeing maybe one African-American cadaver in my lab my first year of medical school. So I don't. I definitely don't think the cadavers are diversified. And I did go to a um, minimal invasive surgery conference in November, and I think we had one African-American cadaver there at that conference. Well, with all these all these different stories from all different parts of the country, um, I think we all can admit that there is a problem, and that's why we're discussing this to address the problem. And we don't just want to have a sounding board that these are all the things wrong. We want to come up with real tangible solutions to bring an end to these disparities. Real quick, Kim, wouldn't it be interesting if we had a conference that talked about this? Um more than just 45 minutes? 
Oh, we do. I know, right? Um, it's going to be, we have um, a four-part series, so make sure to go to padequity.com and go ahead and register. And we are going to be holding these types of discussions all year long, and we're hoping to come up with some real tangible solutions. Thank you so much to everyone for joining us today for the amazing, powerful conversation, your courage, um, you know, for being here and being so honest and candid and, and sharing. Thank you so much, everybody. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and Abbott. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.